The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Mike Renner. We're bringing him in on a Monday to discuss a little NFL draft. Mike, again, we've got the phone on the table. Mm-hmm. Still waiting for the call. It's been a while with the phone on the table. It's Look, we're not... My wife's due date isn't until next Monday. Yeah. But it was because she just... I, get, I, don't, know, I don't want it. She had scares. I get she it. Had, it happens. I mean, I have no clue how that feels, but... I know. You sure? You don't? I no clue, but yeah. yeah. This is baby number three, and my wife still has no clue how it feels either, <laughs> because <laughs> we've got this two-week window here, now one-week window before the Super Bowl. Like, mm-hmm. this can't roll into the weekend. Yeah, I'm guessing Sunday, 4.30 is when she's probably going to go into labor, if I, had to put a, if I had to guess a time. It's not ideal. Um, it's not ideal. So uh, if the phone rings, again, the rules are I leave. Yes. And you, and uh, you run the show. Uh, anyway, we've we got all sorts of fun NFL draft discussion today. We're going to keep it broad, but also get specific, specific on some, some um, you know, bigger topics. Like mm-hmm. The top five picks in the draft. We'll discuss what's going to happen with those top five picks, guys that we think are good fits, guys that we think are bad fits that we're seeing mocked in that top five so that'll be um you know just a different view from i think Mm -hmm. what other people are seeing here um we're also going to highlight some prospects where the production hasn't met the hype you know these are the guys that we see in first round mocks left and right and we're just like no 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 just not there or not top five not top Mm ten whatever it might be we'll get into some burning questions i had a a key tweet i thought it was a really key tweet this weekend an epiphany about 
evaluators, what a true outlier is. We'll get into some my guys, but let's start. Put yourself on the back less for that tweet, Steve. That's what we do here. A That's what you tweet. did when you hosted. You ta- talked about all your Oh, great, yeah, I know. All your I know. When you're the host role, you get to pump that. I'm so, learning yeah. from you. That's why I know. Continue. I, I learned from watching you, son. <laughs> anyway. Uh, breaking down the top five picks, the top five picks in the NFL draft, the Arizona Cardinals at one, San Francisco 49ers, New York Jets, Oakland Raiders, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, broadly speaking, interesting draft because none of those teams technically need quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I mean, a whole I would, separate yeah, exactly, discussion. Exactly. That's right. It. Um, would the Cardinals ever move on from Josh Rosen? Would the Raiders ever move on from Derek Carr, Bucks from Jameis Winston? But assuming they have quarterbacks, what are you looking at here? Who do, is Nick Bosa the slam dunk? Number one overall pick here? I believe so. I don't think I would go anywhere else if I'm the Arizona Cardinals. The only other option that I would say if they drafted him, I wouldn't think you're crazy, is Quinn and Williams. Just because, yes, you have Chandler Jones on one side, and you really have no one on the interior there. Robert Kemdichie has not come along for the Arizona Cardinals enough to stop me from drafting an interior pass rusher like Quinn. And he's versatile, can do a lot of things there. So, one of those two, I wouldn't. I can't say you're wrong for drafting either of those two. I can say you're wrong for pretty much drafting anyone else, though. So, so you think so? It's Nick Bosa, Quinn, and Williams. Those mm-hmm. are the quote unquote blue chip top two guys that yes. we've seen. We've evaluated just you know eyeball tests, but also of course the PFF evaluation system. Nick Bosa, elite grades two years in a row, was on his way to a third one before only playing what 130 snaps yeah. or whatever it was last year. And then Quinn and Williams, the highest graded season we've ever seen mm-hmm. from an interior defensive lineman. But essentially, the consensus top three guys in almost every mock that I see is Bosa, Quinnen, and then Josh Allen. Yes. Um, have seen Josh Allen go three, four, whatever it is. Is he in that mix with those guys, or is he a, a step below? I think he's a step below just because there's a lot of question marks with Josh Allen. Uh, he did not win uh, – with pretty much anything other than his athleticism at this point. His hands still aren't very much developed. He's just still pretty raw as a prospect, even though he's older than the other two. So that's already he's behind the developmental curve. You never know if he's ever going to put it all together. But athletically, I think he's the biggest freak of those three. He's going to test out incredibly at the combine. He is does have a lot of things going for him. And if you know in five years you said Josh Allen's a better player than either of those two, I it wouldn't surprise me You know, in the NFL. That wouldn't be a huge surprise to me. But at the same time, you still want to maximize production on a rookie contract. I think those two are Nick Bosa and Quinn Williams are sure things as you're going to find in this draft. And to go other ways is just you know rolling some unnecessary risk into the pick. By the way, with Josh Allen, if you guys are on the YouTube channel, go find our Josh Allen profile on the YouTube channel. If you guys are listening to the podcast, um, I do go suggest do also. what's that? Still go find it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, go to, you go to go to YouTube, search PFF Josh Allen. And we did an in-depth, first time we've ever done this, 17 or so minute profile on him. Jack Collinsworth, that's Chris Collinsworth's son, did the interview. He did a great job. Our video team did a fantastic job putting this together. Just some great insight on Josh Allen, his progression uh, in college, which he, he truly got better every single year, which, ma- which mirrored how he got better in high school every single year. He actually quit football a couple times and came back. It's really a mm. great story. Red flag? I, well, I'm not going to bring it up as a red flag. You know, <laughs> scouts are going to bring it up as a red flag. Mm. And, uh, but at least he, he has a red flag, so that's not a red flag. Yeah, we don't want to have no red flags because that's the yeah. biggest red flag if you're a scout. No red flags, mm. biggest red flag. Uh, so Josh Allen profile. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. Um, when I was watching him the other day, uh, my epiphany watching him is that he is what scouts and evaluators mm. wanted Deion Jordan to be a few years yes. ago. If you remember Deion Jordan, he went number three overall to the Miami Dolphins, and he's six foot seven. 
and he's got these. He was a good athlete, if I remember. I mean, he looked yeah. burst, you know, burst yeah. and all that stuff. A lot of the Deion Jordan stuff was though. It's like it just looked better because he was six foot seven. It was like mm. four six foot seven guy. Yeah, it's like, Watch him run the seam with this yeah. tight end. So Oregon used to drop him into coverage all the time, and he'd do some cool coverage things for six foot seven, but maybe not with respect to the rest of the NFL. He wasn't yes. like an elite coverage player for the mm-hmm. NFL, right? But I'm watching Josh Allen, and not only was he the highest rated pass rusher on the edge last year Mm. but he had some plays in coverage he had over 100 plays in coverage that were just unbelievable yes i mean running the scene with tight ends legitimately Mm. there was a play the other day i'm watching i think it was against either uh, mississippi state where they drop him into curl flat and you know the running back the running back wheel everybody Mm. says the running back wheels undefeated josh allen's step for step with the running back it's smooth too he's a smooth space athlete so my thing is can he be a pass rush coverage combo player at the next level and do any of these teams want to use him in that capacity? I, th- I think, I think yes. Yeah, so, so when you texted that to me, I said, that's a fantastic take. I believe he can do that at a high level. There aren't a ton of teams that necessarily utilize a role like that. Right. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously has been one. The Packers utilized that role last year in their 4-3 of a, a guy who's sort of a true 3-4 outside linebacker where you don't know if he's rushing the passer every single snap. Whereas most 3-4 outside linebackers, guys like Von Miller, you're pretty sure they're rushing the passer. They only drop a couple of times a game in the coverage. So if you do have a role like that in your defense, I think you're going to cover his skill set. That's why I said there is a team, there is a role where I can see you being higher on Josh Allen on your edge than Nick Bosa because if you play a scheme like that, but so few teams do. Yeah, so especially the teams picking here, the Cardinals could incorporate that, but you're talking about the 49ers, just a true 4-3. He would just be a hand-in-the-dirt pass rusher for them. For the Jets, probably the same thing with Greg Williams coming in. For the Raiders, same thing in their scheme. And for the Bucs, they're going to more of a 3-4 different type of look down there, so... Mm -hmm. Maybe you know he would be the guy there. I would be surprised if he gets there, though. Yeah, I would also. be surprised if he gets there as well. And I've always been of the mind I don't necessarily want to pick a guy top three just because he does everything kind of well. I don't mm-hmm. want to. My issue with Deion Jordan back then is he was a pretty good pass rusher. So don't overrate the versatility. I think yeah. Josh Allen could be a very good pass rusher and a very good coverage player. So I, I like so the vice, versatility yes, works. That's for him. the thing. It's being able to cover in and of itself is not valuable. Being able to cover at a high level is valuable. Yeah, so being able to point. pass the passer at a high level is valuable. Just because you are capable of something doesn't mean that has necessarily value. Being you have to still do things well, and I think Josh Allen does both of those things well. Yeah, we'll talk more about all these prospects. We'll have some more breakdowns on ProFootballFocus.com uh, on all of these players and our thoughts and the grades and all that fun stuff. By the way, the draft guide expected to drop uh, first week of March, right before free agency, mm-hmm. or right in that free agent period. Um, so keep an eye on that if you guys have PFF, Edge, or Elite. Um, so Bosa, Allen, Quinnen, all those guys seem to be not locked into the top three, but you see them most commonly. Now the rest of the top five, you know, it's, it's the Raiders and the Bucks. I see things all over the place here. Again, you're not getting Dwayne Haskins or Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. the top potential top two quarterbacks. You're not getting them mocked that high. Or Drew Locke or Daniel Jones. I mean, they're whatever quarterbacks you like. Mm-hmm. So, how, so what rounds out the top five here, assuming there are no trade-ups right now? I would say this is the interesting thing is because I do think those three that you mentioned, Bosa, Allen, Williams, are in a sort of a class all by themselves in terms of they are the best three players in this draft regardless of position. They're going to be the most coveted. And if you're the Cardinals, 49ers, Jets, if you do trade down, so if they're, let's just say, one of those teams wants to trade up for a quarterback, wants to make sure they get their guy, whether it's Haskins, Murray, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, so whoever you want to trade up for it, who, if someone does trade up there and do that, will one of those teams be willing? Because at that point, if you're trading back, if you're the Jets, you're saying, oh, I'm not getting 
Josh Allen. Maybe I get you know more draft picks, but I'm not getting this home run sort of at the top of the draft. Do you foresee that being the case to where I've always thought someone will trade up into that top five? But do you think those three teams stand pat and just say, <laughs> yeah, we're going to hold on for those three? I love uh, those three players, but mm-hmm. I still think I would take the picks. You'd take the picks. I still, still think I would take the picks. I do think it's a deep draft, though. So it, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think if you pick up another second rounder, you're probably going to pick up a second rounder or a third rounder or both. Depending you're, on you're who has to go up, yeah. You're going to pick up so much draft capital. <laughs> and we, we do know that the more draft capital you pick up, the better off you are. But the interesting ones, the Raiders, like you said, because if, if we do treat it as three blue-chip players, are the Raiders the hot spot? They already have three first-round picks. Yes. Do they trade back and pick up even more picks? This is how you rebuild a team. Mm -hmm. This is why the Browns are where they are, because they accumulated pick after pick after pick. And they didn't the more, even hit on that many, you know. And well, that's still, the thing. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Most evaluators, people have studied this stuff. Most evaluators don't pick at a higher rate than others. There's not like it's one a, guy yeah. that hits seventy five percent and there's another guy at thirty. Over time everybody's at the forty to fifty percent rate. It's, yeah, it's it's I mean, there's obviously a difference, but it's not like Oh, but it's not 80 to 20, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So over time, if you just pick more, you know, it's okay if you miss because yeah. you have more picks. It's just finding players. Um, so the Raiders, I think, at, at four and the Bucks at five are the interesting one. So the Giants mm-hmm. and the Jaguars. I, so if we're going to talk trade up, I could see the Jaguars one to jump the Giants, right, to get their guy. Yes. That's, that's the key player in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do the Giants want to move up and get their guy, or do the Jags feel like they need to leapfrog the Giants and get that guy? Or do the Giants just say, we got Eli Manning, we have our guy? <laughs> uh, it, from what, all everything we've heard, it seems like they're going to keep at least Eli Manning for next year, which to me doesn't make a ton of sense just for a number of different reasons. We don't. That's a conversation for a different day. But I do think the Jaguars are the team that they're set right now. They need a quarterback right now going to the draft i'm not sure is your best bet because you go a rookie quarterback what's the chances that guy's going to hit immediately i think they're the team most likely to get in the mix for teddy bridgewater Bridgewater. for a guy in the free agency this offseason and kind of skew the draft at this point because they have so many free agents on that roster who sort of you know time is ticking to some degree that they just have to their window is right now so the giants and the jags from a qb movement standpoint are the key players to watch and then the broncos sitting there at 10. Mm-hmm. Do they go make a power move to go get their guy? If we have to pick players, let's yes. discuss yes. who we would take okay. at 4 and 5 and then discuss the guys that we wouldn't take in the top 5 that we're seeing there. Mm-hmm. If we had to take players, I know I would probably start looking at the cornerbacks. And I don't think that there's necessarily a clear-cut number one corner. Um, there's a, a Jalen Ramsey that I'm just like, all right, there's the guy. Or Marshawn Lattimore that would, you know, there's the guy. Yeah. But... I think there's some very intriguing corners, and we know about cornerback value. We'll be talking about this all draft season. Mm-hmm. It's time to start talking about more corners in the top 10 than maybe the NFL has done in the past. Yes, I do think there are a handful of corners. I mean, DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy, who are step in right away, can start for your team's type of talents, and that has a ton of value. And especially when your team like either of those, the Raiders or the Buccaneers, who both obviously, if you watch them play any single game last season, you know they need help in their secondary. What about those top three teams, though, too, at corner? Because they all need corners, too. Cardinals opposite Patrick Peterson. The 49ers need better depth. The Jets have needed you know, to solidify the cornerback mm-hmm. position for a while. As much as – here's the thing. It's easier to project pass rushers at the next level. Like I feel yes. really good about Nick Bosa. I feel mm-hmm. really good about Quinton Williams and Josh Allen. I feel good about those guys, project, you know, their projections and, and their production carrying over. I feel less good mm-hmm. about the corners. Yes. But if the corner hits, 
they're more valuable than those top pass rushers. Is what we've yes, learned. Yes. This is what we're learning. I but I do think again it goes back to the unnecessarily unnecessary risk that I was talking yeah. about earlier. You've you pretty much know Bosa and Williams. Now Allen to some degree, I still feel like is still safe in terms of just what he can do athletically. Not a lot of guys that freakishly athletic just fizzle out in the NFL. He right. is just a freak of nature and has already produced at an extremely high level. Uh, so I do think those three are about as safe as it gets in this entire draft. I would also, the who I'm lo- more looking at for the Raiders and Bucks, and now the Raiders won't take them because of what happened last year, but the Bucks could definitely take them, or should take them, Jonah Williams, the tackle, yeah, Alabama. I, I forgot about Jonah me. for a while. Yep, He is the best off tackle in this class, quite clearly. I don't care what his arm length is at the Combine. He is good enough to hold up at tackle in the NFL. We'll talk Tr- about that a little bit later. Arm Junior, length but, yeah, we'll talk about stuff. that later, yeah. but the Buccaneers obviously need a tackle i like that fit from what they've four years of donovan smith it's time to move on he averaged something over like 50 pressures a season in four years which is just got awful so you have to get some pass protection there that was their downfall offensively a season ago big reason why they had so many turnover worthy plays is because they were just throwing a lot of plays under pressure i do believe that that would be a great fit especially when you have bruce arians there that you know, that's oh, you just need, some crazy you offensive line. Tackle. You know, someone there. So. I like Jonah Williams there. I like the I like the cornerbacks, mm-hmm. the cornerback discussion. I like Jonah Williams to the box. What about guys that we're seeing in the top five now that um, that we just pro- that we wouldn't take? This is the one that worries me, and brought this up earlier. It's Rashawn Gary to the Raiders. I'm it seeing this seems like everywhere. That that seems just like oh, it, it's. I think it's going to happen. Like uh, once you said it, it got in my mind. I'm like, that's just too perfect for what you know. Everything John Gruden drafted a season ago just fell in love with these physical traits from guys who had you know no on-field production whatsoever over their first handful of picks a season ago. Colton Miller, uh, you know, all their picks, and that is Rashawn Gary to a T. You know, a freak of nature athletically, but man. He could not even dominate college offensive linemen, which that's where you should be dominating if you're that freakishly athletic. That would be the concern. So we are going to have a whole segment about guys whose production is not matching the hype. Rashawn Gary, spoiler alert, will be a part of that discussion, but he's here as well. I'm seeing him at four to the Raiders in many different places. This is the difference between him and Nick Bosa and Josh Allen. Gary is just a traits projection and doing and drafting that in the first round anywhere, let alone the top five is just a massive risk. And I keep going back to, we've got four years of data watching guys go to the NFL. Now five years of data of, you know, college players and our pass rush stuff has been really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not always like this guy's, it's not perfect, right? This guy is great. There's always great, 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 good, good, good. It's not always perfect college to the NFL, but the guys that dominated at college, the guys who do- are dominating in the NFL or being really good in the NFL dominated in college. Mm-hmm. That's the clear thing. And it's almost like you can eliminate guys if they did not truly dominate and have an elite grade. Gary has been, had, had good, not great grades, and last year was a subpar grade yeah. in his draft season. So he's never matched the number one overall uh, uh, recruit hype, mm-hmm. and now he's getting this first-round hype strictly based off of traits. He made Bruce Feldman's freaks list i think he was number two on mm-hmm. the preseason freaks list like all that stuff's legit but man it's just a lot of projection for him right now yeah pass rushing at the nfl level is far more about it's far more of an art than it is a you know how athletic you are that athleticism only can get you to you know it can get you in the door it can't absolutely we've seen so many athletic pass rushers just fizzle out the nfl level because 
offensive linemen have tape study. They have, you know, they realize they're almost as athletic as you there at that level. You have to be able to win to the outside, inside, and through offensive linemen at the next level. You really have to have a vast array of pass rushing moves, or else that one pass rush move that you have just gets shut down. Rashawn Gary just had the bull rush at Michigan. That was pretty much all he has at this point. Now, that's a good thing. A bull rush is a good thing to have. Don't get me wrong. He's a freak of nature athletically. It's probably going to get him some play at the next level as well. But it's hard to develop multiple moves. We don't, you know, going from zero moves in college, zero pass rushing moves, to then a full, that's like what they asked Jadavian Clowney to do. And we've still seen him take forever to, you know, develop that. And he was even more productive, far more productive than Gary uh, at South Carolina. And Clowney's another power player, power Mm -hmm. first player, even though he's got the burst and all that stuff. Um, Just to be clear, because you keep talking about Josh Allen's athleticism. How, him versus Gary. We've seen Allen put up an elite grade in the SEC. Gary's athletic for two hundred and ninety pound man, yeah. and that's and that's good, you know. And but that's uh, Josh Allen's athletic for a six five, two hundred sixty pound man who can also runs like you know he could have played tight end. He could runs like a you know an elite tight end in the NFL. He is a guy going to run the four fives, elite change of direction. Gary is just a freak for that but that's not uh the change of direction that those sort of things he's more just very explosive for his size uh, other names that i've seen dra- uh, mocked in the top five josh jacobs the alabama running back i mean we can just weed and it's it, running back I it's mean. not an anti josh jacobs take yeah. it's it's an anti running back running take back if you're say the box at number five taking a running back um it's just roster building malpractice. Yeah. Really. It, it, I mean, it's really like taking it a is. kicker in the second round. It's 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 not good. Yeah. Even if you do get it, you know, we've you've if you followed our channel and our podcast enough, we love Saquon Barkley as a player, but wouldn't take him in the top five. Mm-hmm. Josh Jacobs, not Saquon Barkley. I don't care what he is. The value of that running back not at that right. position compared to say his teammate Jonah Williams, like you said, at left tackle, far more valuable to get that good left mm-hmm. tackle. I would rather have I've seen Devin White, the LSU linebacker. I'd rather have a linebacker in the top five than a running back. You know, ten times out of ten, I think you can impact the game far more in this day and age as a linebacker than you can as a running back. Yeah, it's all about the pass game and coverage. The other name that I uh, I've saw not I've seen not not a ton, but Nikhil Harry, wide receiver from Arizona State. He's got some freakish plays. He's a big wide receiver. But again, in this deep wide receiver class, I don't even know if he's the top guy. Yeah. And I don't know if he could separate. It is, that's the thing. It's such a level. deep wide receiver class. I think there's probably going to be 15 or so guys going the first two rounds. Position scarcity is a and, thing. And that is a thing, yes. Right? So you, you kind of have to wait. And that's, that's basically the whole argument against drafting a running back high mm-hmm. is position scarcity. Every single year, there are multiple running backs that you can get in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round yes. who are productive as productive as first rounders mm-hmm. whereas it's hard to get offensive tackles and the and that's and that's part of the balance of this whole draft theory thing do and you have rush, to reach is like the pretty much all our top edge, edge, edge rushers are all in the top and they're safest probably there's yeah. if you're looking at the right stuff again we'll do this in our burning question if you're looking at the right stuff they're the safest right mm-hmm. um so there so that's the, our top five breakdown uh there's a whole different ways to slice this but i think it's this defensive heavy draft um at the top we're talking all defensive players unless yes. teams trade up to go get the quarterbacks or maybe get an offensive John tackle Williams like Jonah Williams. Yeah. Right? That's about the only guy I could see, foresee offensively non-quarterback going top 10. I also feel like this is the draft where there are just some massive – I guess it's every year, but 6 through 15, mm-hmm. there are going to be some names that aren't even talked about right now that end up going. 
in the six through fifteen range. Okay. Like, why did this guy? I was, just, I was gonna say, give me a name, but you just said they're not being talked about right now. They're so not being talked. about. Somebody's gonna come name. out of nowhere, <laughs> like Mark Barron a few Colton years Miller. ago. Like, oh yeah, he's a top ten player. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Colton Miller. Exactly. Colton Miller is a guy that yeah. that you know showed up out of nowhere in the top fifteen. All right, let's get into players whose production has not met the hype. You wrote this on the site last month. Actually, we did a whole YouTube video on it, but it's good to. You know, come back to it. Rashawn Gary was kind of the poster boy yes. for this, right? Yes. Again, athletic player, no real production on the field. Let's discuss the two quarterbacks who made your list. It was Daniel Jones from Duke, Drew Locke from Missouri. Just saw both of the guys at the Senior Bowl. How much of this is just quarterbacks have to get pushed up because of need? That's that was the thing. It's quarterbacks have to get pushed up. You just teams. You can't. Uh, you can't as a GM go into 2019 when you have. You know, a terrible starting quarterback. Say you're, uh, you know, say you're the Jaguars. Say you just can't go into the Jaguars, Giants. You know, the Broncos, someone like that. You can't go in with no hope. You can't right. go into the next season just saying, "Well, this is going to be. We're going to send out Co- Cody Kessler this year." <laughs> you know, with this roster, that's just not. Jalen Ramsey would not you, be. Too you can't happy. look your, you know, fan base. Or you can't look your owner in the eye and say that's what you're going to do. So as a GM, you almost buy yourself two more years of security by drafting a quarterback there. Uh, in the first round and be like, you know, we got to see this through. I got to see, you know, this quarterback through, even if realistically they should not be getting drafted anywhere close to that. So, yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones or Drew Locke. And we touched on them in the Senior Bowl podcast a week ago, pretty more more in depth, but yeah. I think Locke Locke is still more of a lock to go in the first round. How about that? (laughs) Uh, I I don't mind Locke as a late first-round pick. He actually had a good senior bowl week. He had a very good senior bowl week. He had a very good senior bowl week. Daniel Jones did not, despite, I mean, he won the MVP of the game, but that wasn't decided by evaluators. Which doesn't matter at all. Um, And he he wasn't necessarily the best quarterback, even in the game. still think Tyree Jackson was probably the best quarterback, and he had the worst week of any QB in practice. So um, Will Greer was close. Will but Greer yeah. also but Tyree Jackson rough. had the lowest grade, yeah. Yeah, he had a, Will Greer and Tyree both had a rough week. Um, so Locke and Jones, two guys where, again, the production's not matching the hype in part because of the quarterback thing. The other name that we mentioned last week, Montez Sweat, the edge rusher out of Mississippi State. And mm-hmm. with him, it's in part to me it's the it's the fact that it's a deep defensive line class and you're kind of projecting based off some length and some traits and all that stuff where he's never really dominated either yeah that's that's a twofold thing it's the he has one he was a senior so his fourth year uh usually guys come out early if they really are you know athletic freaks like Rashawn Gary who came out early if you really are that athletically freakish and you should be beating up on college offensive linemen you should be doing it early on in your career even you know ed oliver has done has beaten up on college offensive linemen early on in his career montez sweat did not really grade out well until this season and even this season his grade was only 86.2 overall so you think that length advantage should have you know come to fruition at some point against college offense tackles because college offense tackles are the ones that get moved you know to guard at the next level if not all of them have 35 36 inch arms He's going to be going up against tackles with comparable length. We even saw it in the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl when he went up against Dalton Risner again in the game. He kind of got owned once again. So I do think there are some question marks for Montez Sweat that his physical traits can't just uh, aren't going to be enough at the next level. You mentioned something that I think is you know, a, a debate with our numbers guys over here all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, guys, how much should we weigh combine data? You know, How much do we weigh arm length and size and three cone and you love the three cone and all that stuff and because they're the numbers guys 
they're just like it's gonna it would show up in the numbers it would show up somewhere in the grading mm-hmm. and so it's a simplistic way of saying it and it's not that guys don't improve and obviously guys that have a better athletic profile have more of a chance to improve i, I don't think we're doubting any of that but i do love sometimes the simplicity of the guys who are just here, here here's what the grading says here's what the grading says this guy projects as and if a guy has length to use and he didn't use it in college, it's it's a big question mark that he'll do it at the next level. If a guy has a great three cone and it didn't show up on film in your grading, mm-hmm. why is it going Twice. to at the next level? So yeah. they come to this like really black and white way of looking at things, mm-hmm. which I think is a probably a, a safe way to do things. <laughs> it's interesting, and it kind of goes to your outliers question that – we're going to touch on. All right, let's we'll, let's just go to that. Yeah, we'll tease right it. We teased it. All right. So okay. the other, give me just the two the two okay. other guys that you mentioned though. Production not meeting the yeah. hype. D- DK Metcalf, first round wide receiver, um, just never graded well. Dropped too many passes. And Ed Oliver, we like Ed Oliver. We don't love him. Pass rushing has never really been, and he's facing lesser competition. Yeah, it, it really should. It, you know, power five offensive linemen are bad enough. If you're playing group of five offensive linemen, it really should have, you know, he should not be losing a lot of reps. And we, you know, you see guys like uh, Nick Bosa when he faced, you know, group of five offensive linemen. When you play, you know, Central Michigan or whatever, those, he ends up dominating those offensive linemen, just does not lose. And that was not the case for Oliver. We're, we're going to get the comments that he's been doubled every single snap. That's not the case. Not the case. He's not doubled on every single snap. Okay. That solves that. All right. Let's get to. I think we're going to try to do this every week. Burning question, just general draft questions, draft theory. Um, so my burning question this week, uh, it's about outliers. What? Uh, who are the real outliers? And again, this was my tweet the other night where I basically said, we hear when you're, when you're evaluating, you're not supposed to focus on the outliers, right? Um, an outlier for us at PFF is Deion Jones. The grading said he wasn't going to be very good. And he's one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean because of that you don't throw out all of your evaluations because of one guy. You just say, hey, we missed one. Yeah. And as long as you hit at a high percentage everywhere else, mm-hmm. you just you throw that aside. You don't try to explain away the numbers just to explain one guy. That's the point of don't focus on outliers. My question, though, is, is the NFL actually identifying the right outliers? So the examples we always hear, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. now throw Baker in there, they're outliers because they're height. Yes. So, yes, they are. They're six-foot quarterbacks who are very successful. Mm-hmm. But should the outliers be focused on the height part of it or the fact that these were very productive college quarterbacks who should have projected really well to the NFL? Mm-hmm. Right? So we're focused on the wrong things. Why are guys like Christian Hackenberg, Jake Locker, EJ Manuel, are they the real outliers because the NFL decided because the height thing's fine and the look is fine mm-hmm. – they're going to be good in the NFL. But the outlier is the fact that they were not productive. Yes. So the fact if, – if Jake Locker hit, it would be more of an outlier than if Baker Mayfield hit if you're, if you're looking at the right stuff. Does that all make sense? Did I explain that well enough? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure if you did. We'll, we'll have to let the listeners tell us if we explained that well enough or not. But I do think the interesting thing is what data points you're looking at, what data points you're calling outliers. So, that's, you're calling, so that's what I'm saying. Yes, right? yeah. So you're calling – height an outlier at that but the thing is height doesn't make it so height makes it more difficult to play quarterback at the college level as well you know it's right. not it doesn't all of a sudden there's nothing that changes from playing quarterback at the college level to the playing quarterback at the nfl level that all of a sudden that height's going to be different and i think similar thing to arm length for offensive tackles it's still hard to block with short arms as an offensive tackle in college as well either 
there are a bunch of also other data points that go into playing, you know, tackle at a high level, playing quarterback at a high level. So right. you're below average on one or you don't have one, but say you have everything else and it didn't impact you there. Yes, it's just one piece of the puzzle. That doesn't mean you throw out this whole guy and call him a guard because his arms are too, you know, or you throw out this whole quarterback because he's too short. Uh, you throw out this cornerback because he doesn't have the length, those sort of things. I don't think, uh, I think there's like a handful of different data points. Now, if multiple of them are outliers, sure, throw them out. But to have one data point really decide your whole evaluation on a prospect, that to me uh, is when you get in trouble. Yeah, you, ex- you helped explain that mm-hmm. a little bit. I think the arm length thing is a good one, right? Um, if you say, well, this guy with sub 34 inch arms or whatever is an outlier, that ne- those guys are never yes. successful at the NFL level. And then all of a sudden, Julian Davenport gets a shot because he's got 37-inch yeah. arms or whatever it is. Julian Davenport, if, you, <laughs> if you're looking at arm length, then yep. yes, the sub-34-inch guy is <laughs> an outlier. But if you're looking at production, which probably matters more, yeah. then Julian Dav- Davenport having success at the NFL level is a far bigger outlier yes. than, say, Jonah Williams, even if Jonah Williams has 30-inch arms, <laughs> because Jonah Williams is a better offensive tackle. That's yes. my whole point. There are, Jake again, Walker. There are, yeah, there are other things. There are athleticism. There's you know how the change of direction ability. There's you know how you can actually just take pass sets in general. Like there's what if, a lot what of if we just kept it simple and it's <laughs> here's how well these guys play football. Yeah. So my whole point is Christian Hackenberg, who looked like an NFL quarterback, was bad at playing football. If he hit, if somehow he became a good NFL player, he's a far bigger outlier than any short quarterback or short armed offensive tackle. He's a massive outlier. Because he just didn't play football well. Yeah. And I do like come, bringing it back to where is this going to impact you? Because I have come around on, I do think, uh, undersized edge rushers. I do think even productive ones in college, it's not going to translate. Yeah, they struggle. The there yeah. are certain things that I do think, but you have to relate it to where is the difference going to come into play? Where, is, where are you as an undersized edge rusher, where, where were you winning in college that you're not going to win in the NFL? And I think you can point to direct things with that. But where, as a short-armed offensive tackle, are you all of a sudden winning in college that is going to get exposed in the NFL? I mean, Jonah Williams, I, there, I haven't seen anything on tape. He went up against Cleveland Farrell, allowed one pressure all game long. I, don't, I didn't see anything in that national championship game that really showed me that, oh, he's going to get exposed by that length. Yeah, I mean, the footwork and everything else that goes into it, I think is far more important than, like you said, the isolated data point. So I think we made our points. If you're going to identify outliers, focus on either the right data points or multiple data points. Multiple data points is my thing. Yes. Is, is what you're saying. And I'm saying to focus on how well a guy plays football. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on that, then the guys who don't play football, they're the outliers if they actually succeed mm-hmm. at the next level. So like, so in this case, Baker Mayfield's not an outlier. Nobody should be surprised that Baker Mayfield had success because we told him they, that he was mm-hmm. going to, and he will have success. And him and Russell Wilson are all having success because they're good football players. They're not outliers just because they're six feet tall. Mm-hmm. They are expected. They're expected outcomes. Although I will say six, seven football quarterbacks have not had a good track record but i would say this is the opposite <laughs> right because i know brock osweiler and dan mcguire they're just bad football players i know i'm getting i'm just, right man, i'm making a joke just messing with me messing oh you're fun oh yeah you're funny sorry mm. uh, yeah i'm always with the funny guys you and sam sam mm. thinks he's hilarious i was gonna say so just he gets he's so angry on here everybody gets so yeah. mad he doesn't read the youtube comments <laughs> but the youtube commenters hate him he has a negative slant not all of no but sam's good we have a good Good chemistry, good rapport. Miss you, Sam. 
see you Thursday. Sam will be here Thursday to preview the Super Bowl. Mm. He'll bring all that negative energy back. We'll love it. All right, let's get to some my guys. So these, you know, the guys we've been looking at recently that have either caught our eye, we're a little bit higher on than others. Who we who we looking at this week, Mike? That uh, is your guy this week. We're going cornerback, and I must really like this guy because I wouldn't subject myself to actually say his name if I didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> but Amani Oruwarie, the six-one corner from Penn State, long. He had in my. For my money, the best week of any cornerback at the Senior Bowl. In the data, it says he had the highest win percentage of any cornerback at the Senior Bowl. So that helps back up my take. He flips his hips extremely well for a bigger corner. Uh, he played a lot of off coverage at Penn State, and I like seeing him press more here this past week. thought he did very well in that. A lot of traits to love there. Didn't grade out exceptionally well, but I think a lot of that was he wasn't getting beat deep. He was getting a lot of beat a lot underneath more than he was deep in off-zone coverage there. I think I like his ball skills on the deep ball. I don't think he's going to give up a lot of – I like his how he projects to the next level. He, uh, yeah, he started out really well last year. Made mm-hmm. it into one of my fall mock drafts, I think, in the first round. Tapered off a little bit as the season went on. I'm with you, though. I, I, don't, I definitely don't overrate size at corner. But I, if a guy that has size yes. and he can move and cover, yeah. then that's extremely valuable. Uh, I'm going to stick at cornerback, too, because I do think there's a debate at the top who the best cornerback is. DeAndre Baker is the guy from Georgia that I've had as the top corner coming off the board in my mock drafts. So I like a lot of what he brings to the table. I have some question marks with him as well, but he's only 5'11". I don't care. He covers really mm-hmm. well. He's got a good feel for man coverage. He is excellent at just seeing the rec- playing through the receiver and just mirroring mm-hmm. the receiver in man coverage. He has excellent ball skills, got his hands on a ton of passes. He tapered off a little bit toward the end of the year as well as the competition stiffened. And then I just get so scared watching college cornerbacks because they get really grabby because of the rules. Mm -hmm. And some guys are straight up grabby. And then some guys are just tactically physical, I would say, down the field. Mm -hmm. So sorting through the plays where a cornerback is beaten and just like holding on for dear life versus a guy saying, because there's no illegal contact in college so they can get away with stuff. That's Clemson. Corners. So who are the sap? The Clemson <laughs> guys are really good at Trayvon being, Mullen. Trayvon Mullen's yeah. got. A, he has a. T- I watched him a little bit yesterday too. He, he's he's got a lot of plays down the field where he uh, he it's, is physical. And yeah. the Clemson corners generally grade well in our system. And Mullen was just okay. Mm-hmm. That's why we overrated Gary Peters a few years ago. Oh, don't even bring him up. But continue with Baker. Let's hear. Sorry, it. sorry, DeAndre Baker. I think he is. He might not be the best man corner. I think he's the best all around corner. Scheme diverse. Mm-hmm. Diverse. Off coverage, good tackler, plays the underneath stuff really well, plays the ball down the field really well, and he's not Denzel Ward, but he's that type of player where it's like, all right, he's a little, he's, he's sub six foot, but he's he could mirror good yeah. route runners. So that's what I see with Baker. I like scheme diversity too because and I don't want to say, it. I I don't when people when they put guys into man and zone corner buckets, seventy five to eighty percent of the teams like split, they're like fifty fifty man. End zone. You know, the principles that they're playing with their right. cornerbacks. No one's playing, you know, only a few teams are playing just zone or just man all the time or just man principles all the time. So many teams are asking you to do a lot as corners. So if you're, you know, this fantastic man corner who can't, you know, play zone coverage, save his life, the what's his face? Greedy? No, the former oh. Raiders quarterback, cornerback. Oh, Namdi. Namdi Asamoah. If you're Namdi yeah. Asamoah, 
you're only like there's only a few schemes in the NFL that are going to be able to fit and play to your strengths. While you know the complete opposite of the spectrum, same thing. So you have to be able to play both, in my opinion. Now, man, I think it's more valuable, but I do think you have to be able to play both in most uh, teams in today's NFL. Yeah, and so in the NFL today, just the interesting numbers here: when teams play man coverage, completion percentage goes down, Hmm. big plays go up. In zone, completion percentage goes way up, big plays. Go down. So, so it really is. There really isn't a perfect way to play defense in the NFL. There is a variety uh, in the NFL. So I think that's why when you're making a draft board that is not for one team, it's for all 32 teams, a guy like mm-hmm. Baker has more value. When I'm looking at Greedy Williams from LSU, I do think the teams that play man coverage more, at least, he has a little bit more value mm-hmm. because he's got good press man skills. I don't love Greedy playing off coverage, though, mm-hmm. from LSU. We'll talk so, more yeah. about him. But Man, that's your guy. We just, that's my guy, DeAndre Baker. Mm-hmm. You went Amani over Warrior. Uh, well, one of our big philosophical questions coming forward is going to be about cornerbacks because last year our guys ran the numbers and they said, hey, coverage is more valuable than pass rush. And just so you know what's happening over here at PFF, when guys give us these new takes that are, are a little bit against what conventional thinking is, like I start questioning it too. Mm-hmm. Did you have questions about that? When George and Eric ran the numbers last year and they said coverage is more valuable than pass rush did did you think hey that makes sense i'm gonna do a double take on it i always thought you're always yeah in on that that one corner makes more of an impact than one pass rusher because i think there's things you can do to take a pass rusher out of a game yes you cannot throw at that corner but that's difficult to run an offense saying hey we're not gonna you know there's like a progression there's place you can't you know just take a guy out of a progression. It's tough to do as a quarterback. So. And it's a, and it's a and chicken like, or, an, yeah. or, or a, cor- a corner being so good that he, that he physically takes the receiver out mm-hmm. of the progression is yeah. extremely valuable. And it's a chicken or an egg thing. What came first, the pass rush, pass rush or the coverage? They, are, they do kind of work off each other a little bit. Yes. But I think that's a big question. So what do you do with cornerbacks? Do all of a sudden, do you need to have seven or eight corners in your first round mm-hmm. because it's more valuable? And, we, and when we're learning that. I think that's one of our future yeah. discussions i don't think there's one perfect way i mean we see we saw the eagles have won a super bowl with easily the best pass rush but then they're saying they were easily the best pass rush you know they were head and shoulders above in terms of how well they rushed the passer they had four guys across you know they went like six deep which yeah anyone if you go six deep in corners also we've never really seen anyone be that utterly dominant on the defense side of the ball but you know when the jaguars had two of the best cornerbacks in the nfl we saw how when they were playing at their peak we saw how good their defense was so it's it is difficult to isolate one or the other. It's always. But I do think you can, like I said, my take on this is you can fake a pass rush better than you can fake coverage in terms of you can bring five guys on a blitz and that's going to get the ball to the quarterback's hands quicker. You can't, you, know, you can drop nine into coverage, but then you'll give the quarterback all day. Yeah. So was, it's tough to. We'll discuss it more mm-hmm. going forward, but uh, you know that'll be the breakdown on some of our uh draft videos we're always taking your feedback what do you guys want to hear when it comes to draft time next week i think we're going to have you drop a mock draft are you ready to go for next week i'm all in so after the super bowl we'll have you drop a mock draft we'll discuss that uh on the pod next week so that'll do it for us for today we'll be back thursday i'll be back with sam uh, unless unless i get the call mike unless we finally go have uh the baby Mm -hmm. uh then then i'll be back previewing the super bowl if I'm not, then you'll be here with Sam. Yeah. So we'll see. Never know what you're going to get on Thursday. But thanks for tuning in. Be sure to go get uh, PFF Edge and Elite. QB Annual was live last week. Go check it out. You will not find anything like it. The best, most in-depth quarterback analysis out there, a part of your Edge or Elite package. We'll see you guys on Thursday.
quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.